from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Welcome to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. We're on the road from the World Dairy Expo right here in Madison, Wisconsin. From labor woes to inflation's tight grip on dairy. Here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes. The World Trade Organization's warning for a sharp slowdown of world trade. Dairy farmers grapple with higher costs as we show you one dairy that's now powering a community by what was once considered waste. We are actually taking uh, something that is considered probably a waste product to most, producing electricity. Why innovation just may be the ingredient to keep dairy farmers moving forward. An unbelievable story of survival that's now an incredible road of recovery. She has some grit and determination also, and she likes to prove to people that, that she's capable of doing it. After more than 600 days in the hospital, how this remarkable young woman continues to show grit and grace. And in John's world, mixed news for woodworkers. Now for the news, days after Hurricane Ian ripped a deadly path through Florida, producers are left with a big task when it comes to cleanup. Right now, some communities are still working to get back the basics like power or running water. Florida Farm Bureau reports farmers and ranchers are facing widespread destruction of crops, buildings and fencing due to high winds and water. In areas of the citrus belt, it says there's been significant fruit dropped from the trees. And livestock and dairy farms are also impacted. Officials report farmers as far north as St. Augustine are facing flooded vegetable fields. And check out the damage at one dairy farm in the state. This is Dakin Dairy Farms in Miyaka City. The 4,000 cow dairy lost more than 250 cows after Hurricane Ian battered them with 100 plus mile per hour winds. Dakin says the number is likely to rise as many have developed respiratory problems like pneumonia due to their prolonged exposure to the weather conditions during the storm. Despite experiencing the hurricane firsthand, the dairy is committed to not only making sure their cows are still well cared for, but they're also becoming a helping hub for their local community. Courtney Dakin, the farm's tour director, says they are taking in donations and sending them out, and she encourages anyone in need to reach out to them. Well, from too much water to extremely low water levels, several barges have run aground on the lower Mississippi River due to drought. That means less room on the crucial waterway for vessels shipping out corn and soybeans. About 60% of the nation's corn, soybeans and wheat exports move on the Mississippi. Barge rates at the U.S. port of St. Louis reached $49.88 per ton at the end of last month. That's the highest on record and up 58% from a year ago. Well, higher input costs are still a big concern for farmers right now, and that continues to factor into the latest ag economy barometer from Purdue University and CME Group. The index drifting lower again in September to a reading of 112. That's five points lower than a month earlier. The decline in farmer sentiment was primarily due to producers' weaker perceptions of current conditions. Once again this month, we asked producers what their biggest concerns are for their farming operation in the upcoming year. No surprise that 44% of the producers in this month's survey chose higher input cost, but we did detect more concern among producers about the impact of rising interest rates. This month, 23% of the producers said rising interest rates was their number one concern. That's up from 14% last month. 
Well, is Russia stealing Ukrainian grain? An investigation by the Associated Press and the PBS series Frontline says it is indeed happening. The Associated Press says the operation used falsified manifests and seaborne septerfuge to steal Ukrainian grain worth at least $530 million. AP and Frontline using satellite imagery and marine radio transponder data to track three dozen ships making more than 50 voyages carrying grain from Russian-occupied areas of Ukraine to ports in the Middle East. They report the ongoing theft is being carried out by wealthy businessmen and state-owned companies in Russia and Syria. Some of them already face financial sanctions from the United States and European Union. Legal experts say the theft is a potential war crime. Well, a Missouri man pleaded guilty to killing two livestock producers who were also brothers from right here in Wisconsin back in 2019. Garland Nelson admitted in court last week that he killed 24-year-old Justin Diemel and 35-year-old Nicholas Diemel. They came to Nelson's farm in Wisconsin to collect a debt from a cattle contract. In exchange for his plea to two counts of first-degree murder, several other charges, including abandonment of a corpse, were dropped. Prosecutors said Nelson killed the Demels in July 2019, burned their bodies, and dumped their remains on a manure pile. Nelson was sentenced to two life terms in prison and will serve those consecutively. Well, this is of keen interest to folks here at the World Dairy Expo. U.S. regulators have unveiled a plan to allow foreign baby formula manufacturers to stay on the market long term. The Food and Drug Administration says in an announcement that it aims to diversify the nation's formula industry and prevent future shortages. You'll remember the U.S. turned to foreign suppliers to boost supplies after FDA inspectors temporarily closed the nation's largest domestic manufacturing plant back in February. In a statement, the National Milk Producers Federation said it would oppose efforts that would create long-term dependence on foreign suppliers for a critical nutritional food. All right, that's it for the news. Cooler weather again in the east, bringing some chances of rain. The west, though, is seeing a few harvest delays due to weather because it's so dry. So is that the same story on tap for next week? We'll have a check of weather next. Time now for a check of weather with meteorologist Matt Urasavik. Matt, things are getting extremely dry once again across the western Corn Belt. Here in the eastern Corn Belt, getting chances of rain and the fall colors are starting to pop here around Madison. But it seems like a similar scenario when it comes to who's getting moisture and who's not. Similar to what we saw this summer, Matt. That's right, Tyne, and uh, we haven't seen a lot of rain as we head through the middle part of the country really over the last couple of weeks, and that's really created a drying pattern, and, and we were uh, kind of mentioning in Ag Day this week about the Mississippi River, those levels going down quite a bit because of all of these drier conditions really up farther to the north in the upper Midwest and those areas filtering into the Mississippi, creating those lower river levels, something to keep an eye on, especially as we are heading into uh, really when everything's going to be transported, especially from the growing season up and down the Mississippi River. But you can see where those drier conditions are still a little damp back in the West, but parts of the West and the Pacific Coast still extremely dry. Same thing goes with parts of the Southeast, but 
A lot of rain came from the remnants of Ian. That's creating wetter conditions there for parts of the mid-Atlantic. And you can kind of see what we're looking at here with this drought monitor. Not a whole lot of drought left where Ian brought some rain even up into uh, parts of the mid-Atlantic states. Still dealing with some of that drought in parts of uh, really southern New England. But then back in the middle of the country, we've seen this expand right here. Back towards Nebraska, southern South Dakota, into Kansas and Oklahoma. Still dealing with extreme to exceptional drought conditions and unfortunately not a whole lot of rain at least through the first part of the upcoming week. We are going to see a little bit better chance for rain towards the end of the week, but still right in here, Kansas into Oklahoma, extremely dry as harvest season getting underway very shortly in those parts of the country. And here's a look at our jet stream. We've got into Monday. There's the cooler air filtering in two parts of the northeast. Notice though by Tuesday, those lines moving just a little bit farther to the north, staying mild and very calm across most of the country, but you're seeing the warmth start, slowly start to increase in the south and off into the west. But look at this big dip in the jet stream heading towards Thursday and the end of the week. That could bring another push of some cool air into the upper Midwest and even parts of the Great Lakes, and that could linger into next weekend, making some very fall-like temperatures there. Meanwhile, staying warmer in the west. So here's a look at Monday where we've got some scattered showers back in the four corners parts of Texas and Oklahoma. Cooler across the north. Lots of sunshine though with high pressure in control. Here's a look at a little more unsettled Wednesday. High pressure in the southeast. Some showers moving into the Great Lakes and the Midwest. A few more back in the west, but overall cooler in the north. Much warmer down in the south and in the west as well. It'll be mild in the northern tier by Friday. Warm back in the southwest and along the Gulf Coast. Still some cooler air hanging on with some shower activity in parts of New England. Here's a look at the temperature trend for this week. Really, the Great Lakes, uh, that's where it's going to be normal, above normal through the middle of the country, back into the Rockies, below normal temperatures. Same thing with the East Coast, and precipitation could be above normal right through the middle of the country, and most of this could be looking at the middle to latter half of the week. Time, back to you. Thanks, Matt. Well, the World Trade Organization sees a sharp decline in overall world trade, but is it the same story in agriculture? We have a great group of economists and market analysts for our marketing discussion this week. Dan Bossy, Scott Brown, and Mike North join us from World Dairy Expo next. Got equipment to sell privately but tired of scams and hassles? Visit MachineRepeat.com and click Sell Mine. MachineRepeat.com, the simple and secure way to buy and sell equipment online. U.S. Farm Report, brought to you by World Dairy Expo, where the global dairy industry meets. Mark your calendars for the 2023 event, Sunday, October 1st through Friday, October 6th in Madison, Wisconsin, and learn more at worlddairyexpo.com. Welcome back to World Dairy Expo, here for our Marketing Roundtable discussion. Mike North, Dan Bossy, as well as Scott Brown joining us. All right, let's start real quick. Before we get take a deep dive into dairy, Mike, when you look at grain stocks and the grain stocks report that we saw last week from USDA, definitely set a bearish tone in the soybean market. What was the biggest shocker when it comes to stocks? Well, obviously, the change of yield on last year's crop was the thing that you know reverberated back through the stocks report, raising it, uh, gave it a bullish or excuse me a bearish tone relative to what we saw in corn and set it apart that moment. Uh, bottom line, though, is, as I tell everybody else, that change didn't take us out of this tight environment. All it did was surprise the traders. So reality is we're still relatively tight, so don't look for that to be a long-term bearish factor. 
Well, Dan, I know you're keeping a close eye on what's happening with Russia and Ukraine as we see um, the rhetoric heat up. We see some of those actions now coming, coming out. What does it mean possibly for then production for 2023 when it comes to grain out of that area? Yeah, so, so if we think about our friends in Ukraine, and I talked there this morning, and we think wheat plantings are down 40%, winter wheat plantings. Uh, they're now just starting to cut their corn. Yields are not up to expectations. But we believe the Ukrainians will be relatively aggressive in, in offering corn. A little different this morning is there's a lot of discussion in European grain markets that maybe the corridor will not be closed down on November 22nd. Putin may be relenting a little on that, or maybe he's getting pushed into a corner to a degree he doesn't have the manpower to defend it. But the UN and others are talking more favorably about the corridor. We'll see if it stays open. It's a political decision from Putin, but it's something to watch because Ukraine today has 65 vessels waiting to load. That's the most we've seen in a year and a half. So they are trying to get grain out. Well, they're trying, but all of this is just adding to this bullish rhetoric when it comes to, to grain prices. And if you look at feed prices on the dairy side, I mean, it's, it's, it's ugly. We see um, DMC uh, payments being triggered. When you look at the margins right now for dairy producers, if feed costs do stay at this level, how concerned are you heading into 2023? So somewhat concerned, I think, Tyne, because when you look at where milk prices have gone, we've been coming off of the highs that we would have had a few months ago. And all of a sudden, the tightness in what we see on the grain side certainly tells me we're going to keep feed costs high. Dry weather has kept hay prices, alfalfa prices, you know, very high as well. So it looks like to me, you know, we have more issues, more reasons to be concerned as we start into 2023. Yeah, so is there enough right now to support milk prices where they are today or even push them higher, Mike? For the short term, absolutely. We have a, an aggressive bid, and you'll see this predominantly around butter. Domestically, we have a strong bid in that particular market. Uh, but elsewhere, this is the time of the year when the retailer and end user is trying to fill the pipeline to make sure that all of us get to enjoy the holidays the way we always have. Well, speaking of the holidays, though, reading some, some stories about consumers looking at cutting back on some of that spending just due to inflation and, and really, you know, preparing for that holiday season. Is it impacting dairy demand at all, Dan? We're not seeing it in the data just yet. I mean, the data is pretty clear. Even at $3 plus butter prices, we're not seeing any demand destruction. Where I'm a little worried about is the strength of the U.S. dollar having an impact on exports. We are seeing it, whether it be grain or dairy or other things, maybe it, depending on the commodity, being down 7 to 20 percent. So the strong dollar is having an impact. It will transfers to maybe capping rallies down the road. But I agree with Mike. I don't see any downside risk, at least at the moment. Well, and the World Trade Organization coming out this week, and they're concerned about world trade. Um, you know, do you think that, that, that dairy specifically is better positioned to, to weather some of these headwinds on the world trade, especially where you see the, where the dollar is today, Scott? So, so I think in many ways there's not a lot of great competition in the rest of the world, and the U.S. still is positioned, I think, to fill some markets. Yes, the, the dollar being strong is one of the issues that may keep us from maybe growing as much as we want, but there's not a lot of competition coming from Oceania, the EU, uh, other traditional uh, countries that we would have been competitors in world markets. Do you see that changing, Mike? I think as we work our way into uh, 2023, um, the landscape could shift a little bit, but the production in Europe, the production in the Oceania region is not there. 
Oceana is starting off another 3 to 4% lower. The environmental uh, policies of Europe are keeping cows from coming back into the herd. And then you couple that with an energy crisis and a historic drought and the lack of feed that will be a byproduct of that. It'll make them tough to compete in that regard. I think the bigger challenges will be more along the lines of the inflationary pressures and recession that you spoke of earlier. We need to take a quick break and then we'll have much more right here on U.S. Farm Report. Well, higher costs for feed and equipment are definitely entering into many conversations here at World Dairy Expo. But stories this week said some people may be altering their holiday travel plans due to inflation. For John, it's impacting his holiday plans, but for a different reason. This is the season woodworkers, like gardeners, are flooded with catalogs. Gardeners are planting bulbs and doing, I don't know, other stuff in the dirt. And woodworkers are thinking about making charming handcrafted Christmas presents, which we will frantically finish around December 23rd. Both of us, however, are ripe targets for new gadgets or gift ideas. And there is some good news and, for me, kind of sad news for our hobby. First, lumber prices, at least wholesale anyway, are back down to pre-pandemic level. This chart is the softwood lumber futures, however, not your big box store retail prices. When I saw this chart, I went back and sifted through some old receipts to see what had actually happened to store prices. Since I've been doing remodeling on my house exterior, I looked at the price of a one by eight by 10 foot cedar trim board. I paid $44 for one on April the 2nd this year. The current price is about 36, so it is coming down. While such prices are still shocking to me, they are headed in the right direction a little faster than I had actually imagined. The catalogs were also unsettling for this woodworker anyway. These Christmas ornaments were painstakingly cut with a scroll saw, like the one by me, uh, by a very good friend. Over the years, his craftsmanship has added pieces like this to our home and our Christmas tree. What little work I have done with a scroll saw tested my patience and frustration management, so I really appreciated these displays of skills. But the catalogs this year were crammed with pages of ads for CNC, which means programmable laser cutting saws that can replicate such efforts with almost no effort by a craftsman other than getting out his laptop. These cutting machines are getting cheaper and easier to use, well within the tool budget for many of us. But is it really woodworking? The old codger in me says no, but then using a power planer instead of hand planing lumber probably struck my predecessors in the shop the same way. The upside is I treasure a little more the tiny imperfections of my friend's gift. I'm also waiting for the price of laser cutters to drop another 25% or so. Thanks so much, John. Well, Machinery Pete, he has tractor tails right after the break. Hey, folks, welcome back to Tractor Tales. This week we're in western Wisconsin, and we got a treat for you here with Bill Meyer. Now, Bill, before we hop in and talk about your beautiful John Deere 60 here, we got to talk about John Deere goes back to, to your very start. Why don't you tell us about that piece of history? 
Yeah, it kind of started on day one. Uh, my dad bought a new B. John Deere the day I was born. Wow, that was and, quite a day for your dad. Uh, yeah, pretty big deal, I think. Now, now, Bill, tell us about your beautiful 1954 John Deere 60. My grandpa bought that tractor brand new in the summer of 54, and my dad drove it home from the dealer, and they put it in the thrash machine, and at the end of the day, the front tires were worked into the ground. Some, it was the first tractor in the area that had factory power steering. Ah, so the neighbors were very interested. Yeah. Has this tractor stayed in the family the whole yes, time? Yes, uh, my dad owned it for just a few years, and I've had it for 38 years. When we first started, this is what we took all the time. Okay. I would say the tractor could have two, 3,000 miles on it. For a lot of years, we didn't use it a lot because there was nothing on the farm it could really do. So this later in life now, the tractor with the tractor riding, we've been able to run it. We use it a lot more. Still to come, despite higher costs, how dairy farmers are forging a path to be an answer when it comes to climate demands that are heating up. Plus, an incredible journey after spending more than 600 days in the hospital. And as Clinton Griffiths will show us, it's one full of grit with grace. Stay with us. Much more from World Dairy Expo when we come back. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition. Welcome back. Well, dairy farmers grappling with higher costs, but not just for feed. Parts, even medicine are hard to come by. But this weekend, we're showing you one dairy that's now powering a community by what was once considered waste. And it's those solutions that could serve up a niche for the livestock industry for years to come. Work here on Verclair Farms this time of year is in constant motion. But fall applied manure applications this time of year means the rhythm is even faster than normal, even with supply chain headaches. We've had problems getting some supplies. We've had problems getting parts. Um, products like milking gloves and blood tubes, penicillin now has been a problem. Um, products that I could have never even imagined uh, being a problem getting. Katie Grinstead has seen a lot of firsts since 2020. It just takes a lot more money up front because of, of navigating through those supply issues. But the rising costs across the board is a heavy weight for dairies all across the country this year. Well, feed costs continue to be our number one expense here at the dairy. Um, some ingredients have been up as much as 50%. She says on average, most costs are 30% higher today, forcing this dairy to become even more efficient. We've embraced automation in our feed center and we utilize augers and the computer to really um, only use the amount of pounds of each ingredients that we need. She says it's a move that's also produced higher accuracy. We're about 98% accurate every time we make a batch of feed, which not only helps our pocketbook, but also is um, really helps the cows. Automation that's also answering another problem for dairy farmers today and that's labor. We've started a few years ago really focusing on our employees and which employees maybe want to learn and grow and maybe go from being a milker to then grow into being somebody who's in the maternity barn who then might be the next um, assistant herdsman. And that's really helped us uh, maintain employees that, that have the drive to want to wanna do more. But what also makes this dairy farm a leader is how they continue to embrace technology, 
even putting in a methane digester back in 2004. We've been producing electricity for roughly 800 homes um, a day here utilizing the manure as, uh, as that uh, fuel source. Powering a community by what was once considered waste. We are actually taking uh, something that is considered probably a waste product to most producing electricity, um, separating bedding, um, the dry solids off for bedding, reducing the odor and produce renewable natural energy. Dairy's ability to turn waste into an energy source is something the world's second largest animal health company sees as an opportunity. There are, are numerous um, countries, uh, all parts of the value chain, governments, that are saying we are going to do something about the climate. Jeff Simmons is a Lanco CEO. He thinks that climate neutrality within the livestock industry is possible. There's there's four ways. I look at it real simply. There's on the land, what you do in the animal. That's where Elanco is. The ruminant, the enteric of the pig, the ruminant of the cow. How do we create less methane coming out of that cow by what we do in the cow with nutrition, with other things? Third is out in the land, it's digesters. It's saying, what are we doing with the manure and the waste? And lastly is, what are you doing in the value chain with ESG, whether that's purifying water and getting credits from a Nestle? Simmons is so confident in livestock's ability to be part of the climate solution. He thinks dairy farmers could soon make more money off carbon credits than they do off the dairy products that they sell. It is possible because people are getting closer and closer. Simmons says some farms are two to four years away from making more money off of carbon markets than the protein itself. But today, those on the farm level say supply chain issues are also impacting the timeline to grow renewable natural energy. We had um, equipment and parts and stuff sitting on ships that we couldn't get. We're very anxiously waiting for that project to be done. A project that's driving diversity on their farm and one that could finally cross the finish line in 2023. Well, when we come back, feed costs are high, but shipping issues are taking a bite out of basis as well. What should you be watching as harvest picks up pace? Our marketing roundtables continue next. Well, welcome back to U.S. Farm Report this weekend here from World Dairy Expo. Okay, as when you look at feed availability, we didn't have a strike, but we're not in the clear. Is there still a chance that we see a rail strike? And what impact could that have on basis that we're seeing deteriorate in some of these areas of the Midwest? Well, even if we don't have a rail strike, the rail is so congested and so problematic today, it's not going to make a much difference. Rail, rail prices are rising. If you look at the barge market heading to the Mississippi, it's slowed. Today it costs uh, one and a half times to get beans to the Gulf as it would to load it and get it to China. It's crazy what's going on. So transportation logistics is a nightmare. If you're in Kansas or the Western Plains, you're paying $2 over plus for corn if you can find it. Uh, it's a problem. For those areas where feed shortages are potentially a, a, a concern, do you think we see some of this livestock production, specifically dairy production, move farther east? Well, I think now we have to start thinking about those, those things beginning to happen. I think we're seeing some of that already starting to unfold, but if all of a sudden it's not whether I can get feed or what I have to pay for it, it's that availability. If I, if I don't have it available, it's not going to work to operate a dairy in some of those states. So I do think we'll see some of this shift more east as we go through time. Again, I will, I will remind us, however, a, a good crop in the bin in South America and here in the U.S. next year could change things. The logistics may still be difficult to get that grain to go west, but better crops might 
uh, make what's a very tight SNU become a little uh, l less tight and, and lower prices. Mike, you have quite a few producers that you work with in California. I mean, you were one of the first ones that raised the red flag about the feed availability issue and, and getting it uh, via rail out there. So as you're having some of those conversations, what type of difficult decisions are we seeing, seeing being made and could it ultimately impact the milk production picture here in the U.S.? Oh, for sure. And it already has, to be fair. Right. I mean, the milk production picture has seen a shift eastward already. And this is not a new trend. We're seeing a lot of growth in that, you know, uh, central corridor from northern Texas up into South Dakota as a response to all that's been going on in the West with regard to dryness and availability of feed and environmental pressures, water, all of that stuff has been going on for years. We're just seeing a heavier dose of it today. So as we go forward, we don't expect that to stop anytime quick. And there's new processing capacity opening up in that corridor to invite even more people to keep coming into that space and leaving further western uh, regions. So I don't look for that to shift at all time. That, that's going to continue. Well, Dan, when you also talking about costs, um, you know, a decision this week out of OPEC to cut oil supplies. So we're seeing costs of, of, of feed up and, you know, we've got a little relief on the oil side. Well, now it seems like we're going to see that move, move higher. When you look at the cost side, what do you think is going to be the biggest pain point for producers in this room? Oh, it's 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 energy and and, and grain. I mean, it's 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 too. Uh, you've got a bull market in energy. We think we're going back above a hundred dollar crude as we head in the winter. Gas prices are rising. Uh, it's not going to relent. Uh, uh, we need people to be forward thinking about availability of supply in the United States. We're relying on foreigners. The whole gambit is bullish of energy, and I don't see how it's going to change. In Europe, for a dairy farmer, the natural gas price is the equivalent to $400 crude oil. So that kind of puts it in perspective when we're trading around $88 here this morning. We don't like to talk about recession, but you are an economist that's on the panel. So at this point, would you say that the U.S. is in a recession, or technically, how, will we, how, how, do, you, how do you quantify that? Yeah, so I think certainly we are seeing much slower growth. Um, I think that is one of my biggest concerns from a risk standpoint. And, and it's not just what have we already done in terms of low to, to negative growth, it's what's happening going forward. All right, well, I appreciate you all being here on our panel this weekend, thank you so much. Well, we need to take a quick break and then we have just the most amazing dairy-related Grit with Grace story this weekend on the show, so stay tuned. You'll wanna see that next. Grit with Grace is brought to you by Zoetis. Your dedication runs deep, and it fuels everything Zoetis does. To protect and support cattle and those who care for them, we are Born of the Bond. Learn more at bornofthebond.com. Well, exhibitors here at World Dairy Expo are passionate about showing and their livestock. And this weekend, we meet one such show woman dreaming of a trip to here in Madison as the next big step in her future. And Clinton Griffiths shares her incredible journey of grit with grace. Oh yeah, oh yeah, get the snack. It takes a lot of days of this. You're fine. To get here. The 2022 All-American Dairy Show in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. For Reese Burdett and her family, each precious step is quite literally a miracle. The Burdett family lives in farms just outside of Mercersburg at a dairy that's just the right size to keep two teenagers busy. I chill water and I'll grain 
and then she'll get milk and I'll feed milk and then she'll do bottles. And then we usually get them fast and then we, if we have to, we get water calves. A step-by-step -step process that Justin and Claire are only too happy to watch. Oftentimes it can bring tears to your eyes when you look back to where we were, knowing how hard it has been and still how hard it is for her. She has some grit and determination also and she likes to prove to people that, that she's capable of doing it. I mean, it's difficult, but everybody has difficulties in the ring. The challenges for Reese started Memorial Day weekend in 2014 during a visit to her grandparents' house. It was a Sunday evening, and what we now know was an electrical fire started in the room that Reese was in. Claire's mother rushed into the flames to get Reese, while her stepdad went after Sister Brinkley. I remember getting out and sitting on the porch and waiting. Reese, badly burned, was taken to Johns Hopkins in Maryland. First, they told us we'd be there one to two weeks, and then it turned to one to two months, and we were like, well, what, how are we going to do this? How are we going to continue to farm, both of us being away? And then it turned into 662 days. 662 days of recovery, of setbacks, and unknowns. Through this journey, Reese has had five cardiac arrests. She lost her leg in the hospital in that, that first couple weeks there, um, blood flow issues. Was she supposed to make it? No. No. You have to be willing to have bad days to make good days. The good days often overshadowed by the difficult ones. From the amputation to learning to stand and eventually walk again, Reese's parents recognized she needed a goal. Enter Pantene. She was actually the first calf I showed at our county fair. A cow with an extra hold on Reese's heart. After weeks in the hospital, a friend from home was her incentive to keep stepping forward. So one of her doctors, he was, he was slow off the wall thinking, and he's like, well, bring Pantene down here. Like, oh, just like that? Yep, just like that. She came to visit me in the hospital when I first learned to stand up, and that really made me want to get home. Just two months shy of two years, Reese came home to a hero's welcome. The guilt that I had for two years of doing anything without Reese, we were a family of four again and I felt like it was okay to laugh again. We were all included as one. A family, a farm, together again, ready to restart the life they put on pause. We know that she has something in store for her. Uh, she's meant to be here, and we don't know how her story's going to unfold, but it will. Reese returned to the show ring the first year, needing a wheelchair to back her up. Showing and going to shows is some of my favorite memories I have. I was actually telling my friend one of most of my favorite memories were made at Harrisburg. Now her sights are on Madison. Working on it. Along with showing, she's taken up dance and FFA between continued trips to the hospital. She had a, a, a trach for since 2014, and that was taken out this last year. And the progress she's made from that has been amazing. She's been walking around more, so it's probably easier. It's easier for her to feed hay and stuff. It's easier for her to water. I still have to hook up the water for her sometimes. Most of the time, she just doesn't want to do it. Spoken like a true sibling. It's all part of a future without limits. She has visions of going to college. 
I've given her a three-hour radius. Our, our reality for Reese is that Reese is normal. Yes. She needs her childhood that she missed. She needs to get all that back. And when she starts driving next year, we'll probably wish she was back in the hospital. <laughs> but you know. these steps along life's path seem so small for most. For Reese, they're the road back to a future nearly lost, now stacked high with possibilities. You get so caught up in the little things. At the end of the day, those little things don't matter. It's the big picture. As long as you have your health and your family, it's all that matters. For U.S. Farm Report, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Thanks, Clinton. And at the Harrisburg All-American Show last month, Reese was fifth in showmanship out of 140 kids. Also, as Clinton said, Reese's grandmother rushed into that burning room to save her. She also spent about two months in the hospital and has since recovered. A picture of the two of them there, what a story. Well, when we come back, John Phipps gives his take on cotton. That's customer support next. Cottonseed's definitely a big feed source for dairy farmers here, but if you want the definition of volatility, just take a look at cotton prices lately. Limit price moves on Tuesday, followed by a dramatic drop on Wednesday, and it's leaving economists even puzzled on what's the cause for the cotton market. But John Phipps has some insight this weekend in customer support. From Anthony Paskett in Anderson, Texas. The cotton industry has experienced great change in the United States over the years. I have been connected to the cotton harvesting end of it. Do you think cotton will continue to be grown in the United States or will it fade away in 20 or 50 years and only be grown outside the U.S.? Well, 20 to 50 years is a long prediction. But I've wondered about this industry myself, even though this isn't cotton country. I think the answer will depend on three main factors, competition, climate, and clothing. While we are the largest global exporter of cotton, we lag behind India and China in production. Meanwhile, an amazing 93% of our crop in 2021 was exported. We grow cotton. We don't use it. Like all commodities, cotton competitors are benefiting from our extremely strong dollar, which makes our cotton more expensive compared to other countries. Competition also includes other crops, especially in the Mid-South. Strong soybean, and to a lesser extent, corn and wheat prices, can push growers to those crops. Weed control is adding to the cotton production problem. Climate is becoming a larger and larger factor, both due to weather conditions and water needs. I think we can anticipate cotton acreage in California to continue to drop, as well as perhaps at Oklahoma. Texas this year is suffering a deep drought as well, but it's not included in the decades-long mega drought area. Climate is also challenging our global competitors like India, so shifts in production areas around the world are really hard to predict. These are familiar problems for commodity producers, but cotton has a huge competition problem with a unique competitor, oil. Oil is used to produce polyester, and polyester fiber has become the dominant clothing input. It is very hard to buy clothing without some polyester in it. Ever more advanced manufacturing processes turn out polyester for fake fur, 
to silky dresses. The biggest driver has been stretchy clothing for both comfort and looks. Now, additionally, Congress seems willingly to, uh, willing to subsidize the small number of cotton growers pretty extravagantly. Mix all these together, and the best I can predict is that the cotton industry will not be a growth industry in our future. Thanks so much, John. Well, one family is taking cow comfort to a whole new level during the trip to World Dairy Expo. We'll show you how one family is creating a life of luxury for cows. That's next. Well, World Dairy Expo isn't just full of meetings and industry folks discussing some of the latest topics. The show ring is also buzzing with the best of the best from North America. But for one family who brings their cattle on the 4,000 mile round trip road trip here, it's a focus on comfort and care that isn't overlooked as they made the trip to Madison, Wisconsin this week. The trip was 38 hours um, long, but uh, the trip started probably like two weeks before we even left the driveway. So on the trailer, we have uh, four 50 gallon water drums that we fill up. Um, Usually it'll get us about like 16 hours worth of water for the, the animals that we have on the trailer, um, but we check that about every four hours when we have a pit stop or so. As far as like things like road grain and, and road hay, animals are, are fed and checked on about every four hours. Okay, I'm pretty sure that their ride was more comfortable than my plane ride here. Just amazing what they do for those cows. Well, thank you for joining us for our show here from World Dairy Expo this week. We're back on the road for our college road show next week. And University of Illinois is where we are heading for our road show as we work to build on our tradition. Have a great weekend, everyone. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.